Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board. Farm Credit Services of America, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, PIC North America, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Rota, and joining us today is Dr. Martin Bono. How are you doing today, Martin? Very good, Matthew. Excited to have you on the podcast. We've recently started working together and bringing pig flow to producers in Canada, which has been a lot of fun and been very eye-opening. And and we were just together at La Pork Show in uh, Quebec City, which was a pretty good event. I'd love for you to just open up by introducing yourself and what you do today, and uh, then we'll jump into it. Yeah, my name is Martin Bonneau, and I've uh, founded uh, Demeter Veterinary Services uh, out east in 2005. Um, we've uh, then expanded into the other province later on. Um, I was uh, raised in agriculture. I was uh, born on a pig farm and spent a lot of times working with pigs until I started the college in '88, uh, and then graduated in '92, and then stayed around pigs since '92, and just uh, wanted to build the practice that we have today. So can you talk a little bit about what it was like growing up on a pig farm, um, I'm assuming in Quebec? Yep. Okay, yep. what was that like? Oh, what was the size of the farm and what were some of your earliest memories? Yeah, well, at that time, it was just a couple hundred sow farrow to finish with a little bit of beef and uh, <laughs> with a few uh, hundred acres of uh, of crop. And uh, But at that time, it was pretty big, like in the early, late ni- 70s or early 80s. Farm around here in the east of a couple hundred sow were in the large one. Like today would probably be equivalent to a couple thousand sow, uh, yeah. kind of. So, uh, yeah, at that time I was uh, uh, operating the farm with my father, my mother, uh, two brother and sister. Uh, so uh, that was really a family operation. I think we only had one employee, um, part-time sometimes to help. Uh, with summer work and constructions and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, it was really family operated. At that time, the the sow were already in pen. (laughs) And then we went to crate later on. Yeah. So the crated barns, were those those pull together barns with crates where you let the sows out during the day for feeding and then you pulled them back in? Or what did that look like? No, at that time, it was really like finishing pen, actually. Okay. Like really finishing pen with, basically we started AI late, well, early 80s. So at that time, we had multiple bores, and you were moving the bores from a pen to another and do the e-checks in the pen. That was manual and dangerous, <laughs> I can say yeah. at some point. <laughs> yeah, I worked on a 1,200 fair to finish in Waterloo that was very similar for a while there. And, and yeah, you had to keep your eyes, your eyes out for that bore as it was wandering around. And they were never small either because you needed no. them fairly big. Yeah, unfortunately, and that's uh, there's always feed all over the place so they can eat all the leftovers. 
So what were some of your earlier memories uh, and challenges of what it was like growing up on a, on a farm? Oh, well, I'd say the, the, the expansion my, my dad did in the 80s uh, when, when the interest rate went very high, like, to, like the, to around 20%, that was a pretty rough ride. Um, and then after that, uh, I would say the technology and the growth and, and the, uh, you know, that the, the, the profitability of the industry was completely different was kind of easy at that time to make money with pigs. Um, and, uh, so we were not paying enough attention or a lot of attention to things like feed efficiency. And, you know, it started more like in the nineties where, uh, we realized that we cannot feed the pigs on the ground anymore. Like let's make sure we use feeders and stuff like that. Um, because, uh, yeah, feeding pigs on the ground was pretty popular at that time. Can you imagine how much a producer would make today if you could drop today's practices into the 80s? Like two, three times. Yeah, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be crazy. Yeah, yeah. And health-wise, that was another thing. Like health-wise, eh, during that time in the 80s, people were buying sow all over the place, sow and boars, and uh, at the assembly yard sometimes, bring pigs back to the barn. Like, like they do with cattle, basically. But with pigs, we learned very quickly that it cannot, yeah. cannot be done. <laughs> cannot be done. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we had to deal with APP at that time, dysentery, very severe dysentery. So you had some time to spend up to $10 per market hog to keep them alive. But mm. they were still making money, though. So what inspired you to be a veterinarian then? One of the when I was working on the farm, my father was using one of the well in our area one of the first pig vets. I would say he was doing a bit of cattle, but he was mainly doing pigs, and and he was really good at identifying uh, sick animals and 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 uh, understand you know just by the behavior what to watch and what to look for. Uh, to treat the one that need to be treated and or isolate the one that need to be isolated. So, and then I always had more interest to animal behavior and animal care than being a, on a tractor. I like it, but I would say I prefer the animal side of it. So, uh, so that's, and then it became really quickly. I was really just come starting the high school at that time. And, and uh, yeah, I decided at that time that I would really enjoy doing that type of work. Um, yeah. And teaching people on how to do things. And, you know, that's a lot of the type of work that we do on a daily basis. Do you remember when you're going through vet school, what your most challenging class was? Uh, what was my, Oh, well, small animals. I never had a lot of interest. Okay. Uh, honestly, like I like pets, but yeah. <laughs> and then that I would say the big challenge when I went to the school, eh, I really want to be a pig vet right at day one. And uh, that was not really sexy and not very popular. And some, some teacher were even talking, you know, you should be just an agronomist. Why, why do you want to be a pig vet? Then, you know, these guys, I'd focus more on small animals than any any other species. So, so that's uh, I would say that was another challenge is to get the um, the interest of producer to to keep teaching you, but you were you had very little interest in their species. <laughs> that was, but I always had the I was 
one of the best students of my class, and I always did well, and I always enjoy a lot veterinary medicine at the college. Really, uh, you know, there's species that I never thought that I would enjoy, and but beef, <laughs> horses, I really enjoy horses. It's a strange practice, but really enjoy it. So in 2005, you founded Demeter. What, what did you do between graduating and, and founding the vet clinic? Yeah, I, actually, I worked for a company called Genetic Pork for about 10 years. Okay. And uh, as, uh, uh, you know, I started in 95 for them and up to 2005. And the first few years, basically, I've, I've uh, worked with a couple integrated company here in Quebec. And, uh, and then, yeah, m- moved to Quebec and work with the Genetic Pork company that were, they were really expanding at that time. And it was at the time of the expansion of the and the pork industry, like the the request for health was big time was a big deal. So we were exporting pigs all across America, up to Brazil, and uh, and had the chance to meet a lot of people and uh, know a little bit better different area. I work a lot in the states and Western Canada and Ontario, and and that gave us a really good. Uh, good idea of the production and the difference also between markets as well. So, And then as you were going through that, was there anybody early in your career in the swine industry that was kind of a role model or a mentor to you as, as you were, yeah. you were learning and evolving? Yeah, I would say Michel Balavance was the first vet that was coming to my dad's farm has been uh, the one that, you know, was the, the, the little trigger, I would say. And then I worked with Camille Moore in uh, Saint-Hyacinthe for uh, three years and always stay close to Camille. Uh, Camille is, was also a really good number guy and and I, that uh, always like to innovate and, and uh, you know, see the, the importance of having numbers to what we're doing. And uh, when you recommend something, be good at identifying Sorry, identifying the um, the uh, the cost of your recommendation and understanding cost is a big deal in our in our world. And I would say that's a, and I stay close to people that were doing that. I had the chance to to work with uh, the Breton family and and understand more the management, the administration, and stuff like that. So I would say that's a, a lot the the people that have been around me. What surprised you the most oh. when you started working in the industry outside of just growing up in it? Well, the, I like, I would say the, the, uh, the interest or the, um, uh, you know, when you work with independent producer, their uh, passion and interest to improve what they're doing is something that uh, uh, I would say was a, a big deal for me to always push me to try to help these guys. And, you know, these innovators sometimes have ideas. And then when you bring other aspects of it, it can go further. And I had the chance to to work with a lot of producers like that. I would say that uh, today are probably in the largest, uh, considered the largest producer or uh, in, our, in our province and in Eastern Canada. But they went from small operation to Today they probably own 100 sows, 100 uh, different sow farms and things like that. So they they did well. They, they had a recipe that worked. 
So I would say that's the the passion around what they're doing is something that I always uh, impressed me a lot. What inspired you to start Demeter? And what was that process, that thinking process before you walked away from a 10-year career? Yeah, well, I always wanted to start something that we own and starting, you know, our own company. And uh, uh, and when I was a student, actually, I had the chance to, to go in southern Minnesota, work with uh, um, the, the clinic in uh uh, that are already, you know, large. They were already large at early 90s with high number of vets. They were already managing farm. You know, Fairmount, for example, is one of the group that I've spent quite a bit of time over there. And uh, and then I always wanted to replicate that in Canada, I would say. Always liked that that approach. And, uh, um, and then it took me more time, though, to be able to put that in place. But... Uh, but today, these guys just keep growing. But on our on our side, that's a bit the idea: is uh, how can we, you know, own our own business and be able to make the profession evolve and also keep uh, the interest of young vets uh, doing what we're what we have started as well. So. so then, when you when you did start, what what did that look like? Uh, I mean, you had to you had to start with some clients. And then yep. grow and expand. So, what were the early years of Demeter like? Yeah, actually, when we started, um, we um, quickly start working with a group in Manitoba called was called iTech at that time, and now it's called High Life Foods. Um, at the beginning, myself and my partner Sylvain, we were in charge of the health program over there, and High Life at that time about fast genetics, and so more. I would say when we started here. More, more than half of our time was spent in Manitoba, around Manitoba. And then we start with uh, our family here, basically, as our, uh, as our first customer in Quebec. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, over the year, we, we uh, deal with a little bit more than a third of the province now in terms of number of producer, uh, mainly the in- independent one. Um, and, um, yeah, no, that's... Uh, uh, that's about, uh, yeah. About yeah. It. So what, why Sylvain and who is Sylvain? What, what about him made him a good partner? How do you guys meet? Well, we met actually, I hired him when we, uh, when I was at genetic work. So he was okay. uh, graduated in 96 and uh, 97, sorry. And, um, always worked with him since day one, actually. Uh, he was also raised on a big farm and, and, uh, I, I work with his dad and him when he was a student. So that's uh, how I knew him the first time, and and all stay. Uh, we are a very good complement of each other uh, in the business, and always enjoy working uh, with him a lot. So, can you talk a little bit about the expansion that you you saw with the additional clinics? Where where did that? What was that progression like? Yeah, we start first in Ontario in uh, 2012, and uh, we got. You know, because of our previous life and working with a lot of Ontario producer, um, we got we we, we receive call on a regular basis to help and uh, to give support in Ontario and and uh, and at some point we were always referring their call to someone that we know over there and and then at some point we say, well, why not looking at that business for for our own for ourselves and uh, and then that's how it starts. We start with. Uh, 
dispute producer and we were doing the service from Quebec. Actually, we were shipping products from Quebec. We were flying from Quebec to Toronto and as needed. Sometimes it was not planned. And first thing on Monday, you have to go to Toronto. Uh, so so we did that, did that for about five years. And then uh, now we have... Uh, we bought a building over there, and we have our own uh, hardware. We uh, uh, we we can we have a, our own local team that really uh, have adapted the, the service to the the province, and um, we're uh, really proud of that group. And it's it's growing a lot. Like that's uh, now Ontario is a little bit bigger now than Quebec, um, just within half of the time it took a very little time to reach what we what, what Quebec was doing um, and um, in uh, in Manitoba it's in, in, in Alberta uh, it basically happened at the same time in 2019 uh, we have been approached by uh, the, our current partner um, to uh, to see what we can do together they were looking for specific tools that we already had that we had already invest and uh, and then we uh, we thought that uh, sharing the cost with them could allow us to uh, build something even better over time. So so that's uh, and and our group has uh, across the country has the same philosophy, the same vision on how we uh, how we want to grow the business and uh, support the producer. So that's also uh, an opportunity that we thought that we have to take and and uh, and try to build around this. So with all of that happening right before COVID, not to get too much into COVID because they probably yep. exhausted the topic over the past few years, but was that lucky or challenging that you guys got that deal right before the pandemic? Good question. I don't think it affected the agriculture that much on the service side. Um, of course, we revisit. We had to revisit a lot of things and not able to visit your partner, meet your partner was a tough part, I would say, but um, but at least in agriculture, that's the people uh, are um, are respectful of. They understand what you know the situation, and they give us a big chance also to uh, uh, you know to uh, uh, bring the support in a different way. And we start doing conference call and video conference like we never did before. And mm-hmm. uh, and it it worked out pretty well actually you know sometimes even today we maintain some of that just because of uh, being more efficient on our time eh? so yeah. uh, uh, but you know at, during COVID we started what we call uh, um, the the big channel was was a way for us to con- communicate with our producer instead of having producer meetings um, now we decided to stop doing that in 2024 because for us the meeting is still producer like to have meetings so but but i would say other than that the shipping um was an issue um like everyone you you're expecting to you would like to ship something today it's the 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 labor staff or labor uh, shortage has been an issue at every level so um for shipping it's uh, i would say it's probably the the the, the main issue that we had uh, during the covid time so what makes demeter premier shp and precision different than other veterinary groups what is what is your guys's unique approach or just approach in general that kind of sets you guys apart well it, you know we uh, 
our our vision has always been to to um, bring as much saving as possible to our producer, bring bring as as much added value that we can. Um, uh, the investment that we do in our practice, in our uh, in R and D, and things like that, pretty unique. Um, and it's and you know we love it too. We're not uh, we like to learn and to innovate. And uh, in order to bring something to our producer, we understand that the when you spend a dollar, you want to make more than a dollar. So you have to, and and this is a, something very important for us. And so that's why we think that we have to reinvest in ourselves, reinvest in our approach. And actually, the communication that we had together, Matthew, about Pig Flow is is an example of that. It's see the future in a different way, and and. Uh, bring tools that will make us and the producer more efficient. So what do you see for the future of both uh, the vet groups and, and the industry? Well, for the vet groups, uh, uh, I think the skills will need to be a bit different, um, you know, to w- work with different profession and, you know, multidisciplinary approach, I think is very important. Um, uh, and um, you know, having tools like telemedicine, big flow, use a lot the technology that's that's available to us will bring a lot of more a lot more data. And so I think the um, to have people that are more analyst based will be something the, the need for that will be bigger is already bigger um, if you want to keep bringing value, you need to uh, use the data that's available. Um, so I'd say that's, uh, that's one aspect that the, uh, that the, 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 the veterinarian of tomorrow will need to have that interest on, on R&D and identify things that can bring returns and profitability to the farm. So, What do you think is going to happen with the industry? What do you think the next couple of years is going to look like? That's a good question, uh, especially <laughs> over here in the east. Uh, the uh, you know there will be a reduction of the big inventory. Um, you know something around that ten percent. That's something that uh, the province is uh, pushing to reach. Um, but you know will will that number be just move west of Quebec? That's possible, mm-hmm. and the the growth. We still see growth in Ontario, and the the, the producer are very. Um, they have a lot of interest to maintain what they have. There's a, uh, there's a, a young, uh, you know, the next generation is taking over. So there's a uh, and and it's very wealthy type of agriculture over there. So uh, uh, I would say that's that province will stay strong. Is Ontario today is that cheapest place to produce a, a pigs in Canada. Uh, so um, I would say that that uh, province will stay strong. Um, in Western Canada, you know, integration is pretty strong. Um, and uh, the, the, the access to feed is something that will always be, I guess, over there. So, uh, um, so, uh, but the, the approach for us is also on, on, on the practice side is, to get closer and work in, in uh, work more with integrators or large systems, 
Uh, and uh, and I think that's a, a place also, the coordination that we have between all of us, uh, all the vet group and all our staff uh, make us uh, really strong to bring good advice and good support to producer and integrator. I would say in the past, integrator used to have their own team and do their own, you know, have everything internally. Um, we start seeing more interest to share and collaborate with practice like us. And, uh, and I would say that's something we think we can bring value to, to these guys. So, can you talk a little bit about the Canadian government and how it's kind of got involved with this? I, I know a lot of listeners probably have no idea what's going on, but they're actually offering incentives for producers to get out of the business, aren't they? Yeah, well, it's a Quebec, or the provincial government here in Quebec that uh, uh, the federal government is not much involved at all on, on that. It's really a provincial thing. And Quebec used to have an insurance program, well, still have an insurance program called ASRA. And, uh, and they have revisited a lot the rules, the, 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 the rates and everything, or the coverage. And uh, that used to be, that used to protect a lot, most of the production. Uh, moving forward, the large producer will, res- will, it will cost them more, it will receive less. And so that the differential is significantly less. And so it, what, what it brings though, uh, we all see, always see, um, you know, uh, options and uh, is that uh, when people are challenged by cost, they're looking at, at a lot of what are all my options, you know, their, their eyes or their mind is suddenly opening to, I must change few things. I need to find uh, revenue or safe costs everywhere I can to, to make it happen, to make it work. Then it, compared to when things are going well, there's kind of more statical time of, of approach. So uh, when, when our people are challenged like that by cost, then it opens a lot of other opportunity for a group like us as well. So, um, but, but here, what the government is doing, they have um, uh, support at very little cost, people that are willing to, to, to retire, to close barns. Um, but we're talking $50 per finishing space. And, oh, okay. You know, very, very peanuts and a very small amount. But for, for the one that had no death on their building, uh, no loan, uh, and they were just about to close, then sometime they will, you know, they were, uh, they did that just to see what would be the percentage of people that would quit anyway. Uh, just because nobody else will take the farm, the farm is too small, you know, the, the previous owner was able to, to make it work because he had just no loan on it and no financial responsibility. So yeah, he enjoyed cool. it as long as he could. So before we uh, get kind of to the end here, can you talk a little bit about what advice you might have for veterinarians that are graduating from, from school or individuals that are looking to go to school to be a veterinarian? Yeah, well, come and spend time with people like us. I mean, there's a, um, would be nice that we can uh, share and, uh, and, and, ex- and explain more all the fun stuff that we can do in our practice. And uh, for people that really like and love animals and working with animals, it's the, uh, you know, to, to spend time with people that manage farms 
or veterinarians. Um, it gives them a really good idea. People that have interest also in pigs, let's take a summer summer student jobs working in a in a sow operation or you know understanding how it works um the pig flow and all that that's the type of things that uh, uh that i would re- really strongly recommend because when a young guy or young a uh, young vet start to understand at least the work that the people in the barn has to do so when you make recommendation you have that in mind as well that you can ask a lot of things but does it make sense are they able to do it you know if the day you you know the one when you work on the farm you realize that these this is feasible this is not feasible yeah. <laughs> and you'll 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 make yourself you you'll adjust yourself to to it so um uh and um yeah no i would say that's the the main thing and and um understand the economics also of production i think is the it's another thing that to work with pigs you have to like numbers you you cannot go around that. You have to be aware of what it costs uh, or what kind of return we can get. Uh, that's kind of a, another thing that we we like to chat with the young one that have interest or that will graduate soon and and tell them what they should learn before you graduate. Make sure you go through this this and this. So that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, even through my background, I found that uh, working on the smaller feral to finish cell farms, I was able to learn far more than yep. some of the bigger. So if like students are out there thinking, oh, I'm going to go work on a 5,000 or a 10,000, like that's awesome. But uh, when you go to a 1,000 or smaller feral to finish operation, uh, you're like one of three or four people who have to do all of it. That's it. <laughs> so you, you, get, you have to be in touch with everything. You understand like, well, I have more farrowing. So what does it mean? Like I need to make space. I need to move pigs from here to there. And, and for health wise, what do I need to, the way you need to be clean and, and all that thing. So of course, when you have the chance to be in a farrow to finish operation, which we still have a lot actually here in, in Canada, and we still have quite a few, like compared to you guys in the U S there's basically no more ferros there really aren't much more but yeah you when you when you have to wake up in the morning and go to the gdu and then hit the sow farm and then the afternoon walk nurseries and finishers uh it it definitely opens your eyes to every aspect of the flow load market hogs and stuff like yeah load market hogs before you even do any of that (laughs) yep a biosecurity is difficult as could be because you really don't have near as much of it anymore but you definitely you definitely expedite the learning curve of what it means to understand pig production, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So what about uh, what about a golden nugget, a bit of life wisdom that you've picked up along the way that you'd be willing to share back to listeners? It's a very good question. I would say what I enjoyed the most today is the the the, the team that we put together and the the, the partner that I'm working with on a, every day. Um, and and see, I would say I'm already 55, so I like to see new generation taking over, and uh, and 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 show their interest and bring their new. So that's I don't know if I understand well your question, uh, but that's I would say to, today what uh, make me wake up in the morning and and have fun every day is is basically that is see the the the, the younger people that are 
willing to grow in this company and are that that understand what we want to accomplish and that's really what drives me every day really surrounding yourself with great people and inspiring the next generation is what it kind of sounds like yep yep yeah that's awesome so normally i'll ask a, a few rapid fire questions and then we'll close things off here uh first one is is do you have a sports team that you root for yeah montreal canadian <laughs> now are you a diehard canadians fan yeah, pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is the top of your bucket list for travel? Oh, the top of my bucket list. Um, I've traveled already a lot in, in the U.S., but I like a lot the northern part of Europe. Um, you know, the Germany, Denmark, uh, Norway. So that, that I would say that's the things that I didn't have time to do enough is that, like travel more in Sweden, Norway, and you know, I'm not a big fan of very hot weather, so. Okay. <laughs> I like it, but I like uh, the north part of uh, of the world as well, so. Gotcha. What about your go-to karaoke song? If uh, Sylvain made you sing karaoke, what song are you picking? <laughs> I don't know. It's something like Brian Adams, something like that. Okay. <laughs> or, yeah, that's pretty, uh, my generation was pretty good guy, good singer, and or uh, I'm not able to sing Celine Dion, but I would, I would, I enjoy her song a lot. And <laughs> so, what is your go-to pork dish? What's your favorite pork dish? Oh, ribs, big time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> soft or dry rub? Uh boy, I like both, but soft. I would say soft. first. Okay. Yeah. Soft. yeah. Well, thank you, yeah. Martin, for being a guest on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure and honor to have you on here today. Yeah, thanks a lot for the invitation, Matthew. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.